I have searched you, and I know you. You're an open book to me. Even from a distance, I know what you're thinking. I know when you leave, and when you get back, you're never out of my sight. I know everything you're going to say before you start the first sentence. You look behind you, and I'm there. Then up ahead, and I'm there too. Is there any place you can go to avoid my spirit, to be out of my sight? If you climb to the sky, I'm there. If you go underground, I'm there. If you flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon. that uh, loves us in an incredible way, even as you heard Psalm 139 spoken. I'm overwhelmed today with God's love, hearing Troy's testimony and uh, worshiping God and then thinking about my story and maybe you've been thinking about your story, how there's a God that loves you so much and met you in a spot where you weren't very pretty and uh, probably didn't deserve forgiveness and grace. And as I think about that, I'm overwhelmed with, with God's love. And even between services today, met with uh, one of uh, our attendees here that was riddled with cancer, has cancer in his lungs and cancer in his uh, liver, and uh, doing a brain scan this week to see if he has it on his brain. Loves Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. In fact, I smuggled Bibles with him through China. We spent time between services laying hands on him with oil and praying for his healing, that God would heal him. As I think about the thoughts uh, of how much God loves us, I'm just kind of overwhelmed this morning. Sometimes it's just good to stop in, in the midst of life that's so busy, running from appointment to appointment and person to person and task to task to just stop and realize that we have a God that loves us a whole bunch. We have a God that gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and for my sins. I don't know if you take enough time just to reflect on that, but I just encourage you to take some time today, take some time this week, pull away from your rat race, your busy schedule, and just reflect that you have a God that way before you woke up this morning had already charted out your life, had already seen your, your lunch, your supper, your bedtime. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows how you'll finish life. He knows when your last breath would be breathed from your lungs. He hems you in. He protects you. He guards you from the north, south, and the east, and the west. And yet it's so easy to wake up and just take that for granted. My prayer is this today, that somehow that we'll grasp the love of God. Because I think if we understand the love of God, then we live differently. We've been talking a lot about legacy over the last five weeks. And been talking about how we're supposed to live our lives. Been some great conversations. And we have some great 
legacies to be lived that are pictured on these picture frames behind me. Let truth be known that we can do all these things that are listed behind me. You can do your legacy that you had your photo taken with. And you could check off your list day after day and and work towards that goal. And you could get to the end of your life when you stand before God at the Bema seat. And you could stand before him and all these works that you've done will amount to nothing, the Bible says, because they haven't been done in love. Everything that we do, everything that we say, every word, every thought, every action, every kind gesture must be wrapped in love. Otherwise, the Bible tells us that it's worth nothing. It amounts to zero. And so as we wrap up this series today, my prayer is this, and my my desire is this, is when you leave this room today, that you'll leave here with a greater appreciation of God's love for you, and then somehow a light will go on in your heart, a light will go in your mind and your soul, and then you will live differently as a result of how Christ loves you. I'm just kind of overwhelmed with that at this moment, because majority of you know my testimony, but I know where I'd be had not God intervened in my life. I wouldn't be here, <laughs> as for certain. I'm, I'm convinced I would be a, a funny guy that uh, liked alcohol and gambled his life away and probably scaling collegiate peaks, doing high-risk things. But somehow God reached into my life as a five-year-old kid and, and uh, showed me through a sweet lady by the name of Mabel Huff that Jesus loves me, and I actually believed it and accepted that gift. And so I don't want to finish my life taking that for granted what Christ has done for me. I want to live a life, and I know you do, that's marked with love. I want you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to address that in closing out this series today. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is the answer. So much of our lives is marked by checking off a list, marking off goals, doing good things, because we're supposed to do good things. That's what Christ followers do. We're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to to have a life that's marked by love. But week after week, we could walk away marking off and checking off our list, and we could miss the mark of how Christ intended us to live because if we aren't careful, this Christian life becomes one of duty and not one of love. Really, this life could become one of duty. And, and before you know it, you get on this journey, this progressive sanctification journey that you're just living out this life and you're just checking this off, doing your devotions, reading your Bibles, memorizing scripture, going to Bible studies, being in uh, small groups and you just gather because you're supposed to gather. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're just in this routine of doing this Christian walk without even understanding why you're doing it and not doing it out of love for your Savior, doing it out of duty. Paul gives us a great reminder in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to kind of just put this fact out there today. The things that we do in this life for Christ, if they're not done wrapped in love, Paul says this through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to stand. We're going to read that together. Verse is 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Let's read these together. Ready, read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Look at the verse three again. Let's read that again. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You may have a seat. Straight up talk today. Straight up. There are things that we can do. God has gifted us and given us gifts today. 1 Corinthians has some, Romans has some, you can find some in the Old Testament. God has gifted us with abilities, talents, skills, gifts, and there are things that God has naturally endowed upon us and given us, and if we can actually do these things, Paul says, even though they've been given from God, we can do them in such a way, thinking that we're doing it for him. If it's not done in love, it says, it amounts to nothing, zero, zilcho, nothing. 
And so as I look through this list, it's just a, a partial list of, of, of gifts and skills and talents that you find in other passages. I mean, just look at this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels and have not, I, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. It's a reminder today that we've got to be careful how we live this life. And we've got to be certain that we do things based out of, we've sat in the Savior's lap, and after spending time with him, we realize, man, he loves us so much. And that love envelops us, and out of that love, after time spent with him, we give it. As I was walking through this list, it was interesting as I, some of the things that jumped out at me, the gift of prophecy. I've taken a lot of spiritual inventory evaluations, and I've had people speak into my life and share things about me. And it's often you can see things in people, and, and, and it's obvious that I have the gift of prophecy. And I can remember early on just observing and watching people. It's real easy for me to look and see black and white. I can look at a relationship. I've actually looked at relationships, and it's only by God's grace. And I, and I, and, and, and I told my wife, something's wrong. There's something wrong. There's, there's something wrong with that relationship. He's not being honest. She's not being honest. And I've looked at other relationships, and, and I've looked at situations. It's just, and, and so because of that, most of my life, I have been a person who, who has been a black and white person. In the majority of my life, it's like, if you're not supposed to do it, then don't do it. If you're supposed to do it, then do it. And it got me into a lot of trouble in a wrong way. I mean, young, when I was young, I, I, just, I, I remember I had to go back to my brothers and sisters and my siblings and say, man, I'm sorry. Because I would go to them and say, if you're a Christ follower, you shouldn't be doing that. And if you're doing that, something's wrong. And what happens is if you push that, 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 that the prophecy gift like that, if you push that too far, what happens is you alienate yourself from everyone. All you do is point out everything people are doing wrong. It was real easy for me to do that. And I've actually went back to my brother later on and just said, man, I'm so sorry. I thought I was doing it out of love, and I wasn't. I went back to my siblings. And, and, and so as I look at this, I can see there's portions of my life where, where I've seen this, this, this gift of prophecy fulfilled in my life and playing out. And I've done it, and I didn't do it in love. And it was a spirit of pride and a spirit of just pointing out. And I had to be really careful. So it's, Paul says this. He says, be careful. Because you can have all these gifts, you can have all these things, and if they're not done in the spirit of love, they amount to nothing. And it's an area that I have to look at regularly because I, I, I know how I'm wired. And, it's, it be, and I see it also other people, they, they speak out against stuff. They speak out against this and they speak out against that and they speak out and they point this out and point that out. And what happens, it alienates people. And then you just walk on through this list and it says, if I have extreme faith that can move mountains, man, that, that, that's faith. You can look at a mountain and tell it to move. This is un unbelievable. And you know people, maybe you're a person of faith. You have this gift of faith that's been given to you, and it's like this unusual gift that's been given to you. And if you have this faith that says, uh, you're out front charging, you say, hey, if God said we can do it, we're going to go. And you're out front, and you're leading these people, and you're full bore ahead. And the Bible says if you're not doing it in love, then, then, then it's nothing. It amounts to nothing. In other words, you could be leading the charge for the kingdom, yet without love, it's a zero. Then it says this, I mean, he makes it even more practical. If you give all you possess to the poor and surrender your body to the flames, in other words, if you see these needs in Chicago or you see these needs across the other side of the world, if you go plant an orphanage, if you go adopt a child, if you go dig a well with your own money and you sacrifice and you, you back home, you take away from the, the necessities you have so other people can live, it is possible to do all these things and not do it in love and it can, you could stand before God one day and he would say, zero. I mean, these are, these are hard-charging words from, from Paul. They are. They're hard-charging because we've got to be careful here. If it's not wrapped in love, then in other words, Christ's evaluation of us is zero. Then he says, you could surrender your body to the flames. You could stand before God and say, here's Scar guy right here. See, right there. There it is. Look, Flex Plan, 1984 Mazda RX-7. True story, by the way. Wasn't for God, but there it is. You can say, and say, God, look, I ran through this fire for you. God, God, I lost the leg for you. God, I lost my voice. God, God, I was out in the jungles and I broke my back. God, I smuggled Bibles. God, I risked my life. And he's going to look at us and say, but you didn't do it in love. It's worth nothing. Paul is hard hitting here. And it's a good reminder to us as Christ followers, we live this legacy that it just doesn't become checking off a list. If it's a list and it's a duty, it's zero, the Bible says. 
It's a great word of caution for you and for me because there's so much human evaluation in our world today and it's real easy to look at people and say, well, boy, they're not doing this and they're not doing that, so that means they must be this. And the reality is, if you begin to go down that path and all you're doing is calling out what everyone else is doing wrong and you're not doing your life out of love, you get an evaluation of zero too. I mean, think about it. And I have been thinking about this because as you age, the more you think about it, there's coming a day that that I get to meet my creator and praise God I do because I know this beyond a shadow of doubt banked upon the promise of the word and the truth of his word, all 66 books, that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I confessed him as Lord and I believed in my heart that he was savior, it is a done deal. I'm saved. And when I die, my next breath is going to be in the presence of the savior. But truth be known, what are you going to take there? I think this evaluation is where we hear these words, well done. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Either you hear it or you don't hear it. And so all the valuations you have, everyone's having an evaluation. Maybe you have an employer that evaluates you every six months, three months. Everybody wants to hear the words, well done. So as we stand before him one day, there's going to be, I don't, I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but God's going to be able to take all the works that we've ever done for Christ's followers, and there they are out in front of him. And somehow the, he's going to reflect, he's going to play them out, and he's going to say, that's a zero, that's no good, that's evaluation. So there's this sense that we're longing to hear some words. We're longing to hear these words. You and I are longing to hear these words from our creator God. As he looks at our lives and as he reflects and he looks back from the time we came to know Christ, Christ and walked with him. We're longing to hear these words. I long to hear these words. This is what motivates me out of love. I want my master creator to say, Jimmy, well done. The truth be known, the word of God says there's a chance too that all these things we thought we would be evaluated on for doing good, he's going to give us a zero, nothing. I mean, you've all seen slam dunk contests. You've seen evaluation where they throw seven, eights, nine, tens, and these guys feel good about their dunks. Imagine a guy going up for a dunk, and he really thought it was something, and the guy goes. Here's the truth to that. We're going to stand before God one day, and everything we've ever done, and there's going to be these moments, and we're going to say, wait a minute, God. I brought my inventory. Hold on, God. I brought the DVDs. Here they are, God. Case can't be a zero, God. Here it is. God. Take this one, put it in. It's even a Blu-ray disc, God. you got to have a better player. And so we play them out in front of us, and, so, and it reads, does not read, no signal, did not record. Wait a minute, God, something's wrong. You better go to God's club and get a new DVD recorder. That's all I can tell you, God. So you stand there, it's like we have this, this, this journey of our lives, and we bring out our photo albums, we bring out our blogs, we bring out everything we've ever done, and we say, here, God, some of us are going to bring out the 30 old reel-to-reel reels. Here it is, God, I've been around a long time. Take a look, God. And so as we walk there, and he's going to say, zero, well done, zero, well done. And you're like, wait a minute, God, I got some more. Here, God, this is my life. Here it is, God, stick that one. Are you sure there isn't something wrong with your DVD player? He's going to say, zero. Nothing. Well, wait a minute, God, let's check this one down here. And he's going to say, if it isn't wrapped in love, nothing. Church, listen to me today. This is hard-hitting information because here's the reality. You and I could walk through this life. We could know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and the Christian walk would become one of duty and not one of love. Imagine you're married, and if your wife, husbands, only loved you out of duty because she was supposed to. Imagine 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, every day she did stuff out of duty. There would come a time when you would know she's just doing it out of duty. Her heart's not into this. The same for a husband. Imagine being married and, wife, and your wife, you do these things for your wife year after year after year after year after year. And it's done out of duty because that's what husbands are supposed to do. There would come a moment when she would not feel loved because it wasn't done out of love. And I think when we stand before God one day and we pull out all of our life, we say, here it is, God. This wasn't a good year. I pulled this one out. But take a look at this one. Here it is, God. What will he say? Because if it's not done in love, if all these wonderful legacies that are listed behind me, if they're not wrapped in love, Paul says, a zero. Hard-hitting news for us today. We've got to be careful that we don't fall more in love with our actions 
actions and our acts and our Bible studies and our devotions and our scripture memorization. We memorize because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And we check it off for a class or we check it off for a professor. We check it off for, for a mom or a dad or a teacher. And if you get into a rut and you're doing it for someone else and not doing it because you love, God says, zero. Jesus takes this seriously too. And he says this in Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7. First look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, we'll go there first. 1 Corinthians 8. Look what he says about love. 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 3. Jesus takes this love thing pretty seriously. He says this in 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 3. He says this, now about food sacrificed to idols. Paul says, we know that we all possess what? What's the word? Knowledge. Knowledge does what? What's it do? Puffs up. Right away, somebody, you can think of someone. Boy, that knowledge puffed up, didn't it? You can see someone. But then he says, but what builds up? Love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is what by God? Known by God. Paul drives it home again. He says, wait a minute. You could have all the knowledge in the world. You could know all the mysteries there, that there are. But the man who loves God is known by God. We got to be careful. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's so easy to check off lists. It's so easy because we want to do what's right. But why do you want to do what's right? Who are you trying to please, man or God? Now turn to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus has some things to say about how we live this life. Turn back to Matthew chapter 7 in verse 22. Matthew chapter 7 in verse 22. Jesus is having a conversation about a tree and its fruit. And he says this in verse, chapter 7 and verse 22. He's having this, giving this message and he says in verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And Lord, in your name did we not drive out what? What's it say? Demons? And perform many what? Miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. I like how he said, in other words, hey, straight shooter, listen. This one would tell you, depart from me, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. You mean it's possible? It's literally Jesus said, you're going to say, hey, Jesus, wait a minute, hold it. I'm correcting you. Here it is. January 4, 1936. Here it is. Cast out some demons. Here it is, Jesus. January 4, 4,000. Here it is, here it is, boom, here it is. Here's when I performed a miracle in your name. Here it is. He said, you could do all of that, and he could say to you on that day, depart from me, you evildoers, I did not even know, I don't even know you. Listen to me, there are going to be so many people surprised when they breathe their last breath, especially those who don't know Christ, and they stand at the great white throne judgment, and they're thinking, I should be at the Bema seat. He said, no, huh? I don't know you. It's supposed to be a love affair. God loved us, sent his son Jesus to die for us. We take that free gift through grace and believe and trust him. And from that comes this love affair with him. And out of that love affair with him, we operate. But there will be many who will be surprised on that day. Love will mark us as uncommon. So if love's the key to our legacy, and that's what wraps it, it should mark us as uncommon. We should be people who look different. You've heard me say this before, but we have an unfair advantage, those of us who know Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we have this God living in us. We have this unusual power living in us. We should be distinctly different than a non-redeemed person. Jesus says this to his disciples. Turn to John chapter 13 and verse 35. Turn over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 13 and verse 35. Look what Jesus says. He takes the love thing seriously. And we're just covering a couple today. Look what he says in John 13 and verse 35. We'll begin with verse 34. It says this. Jesus says this. He predicts that, that Peter's going to deny him. And in the midst of this conversation, he says this to Peter and to us today. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So... You must love one another. And then he says this, by this, all men will know that you are my what? Disciples. If you what one another? 
love one another. So there's got to be a distinguishing mark amongst believers. But listen to me. Do you see it today in the churches? It's like we, 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 we try to separate ourselves. But most of the time you see this clustering effect. These people who are Christ followers, they're pulling away from the world. It's like we can't get near that because if we get near that, those people don't know Jesus. It's like we, we got to get away from them. So we stay in these holy huddles. We pray together. We have our special handshakes and we study and memorize. And there we are. And because someone says something a little different than us in our theology, we push them out. Let me tell you something. There will come a day when we stand in heaven. There will be all kinds of denominations who trust in Jesus Christ and they will be one. Listen to it. We got to get something right here. Christ came and there are a lot of people who love Jesus Christ, who have a personal relationship with him, who might do it a little differently, but they will spend eternity with us. So don't get, you might as well get used to it. And Jesus said, the mark of a believer is if you love one another. Gosh, that's why I, I wonder sometimes. We run from any place that there's a sinner. We continue to make our circle smaller and smaller with people who are just like us. Oh, you read that passage. I know you trust Jesus Christ. Oh, you live your life this way. You live your life this way. Hey, come. And so we, we get away and we have these small clusters of people. And Jesus said, what about all these other believers? Love them. Help them. Serve them. But we're so good at pointing faults. And here's what happens. Because they're a little bit different and we have rights to disagree. There's times I, I'll just agree to disagree. We'll have to, but here's some things I won't disagree with. It. Jesus Christ is the way. I'm not moving on that one. There's some fundamentals I won't move on. But there's some things like, oh, they do it a little differently. So you separate. And then someone agrees with them who's on the same stage with them. And you had this third, fourth, fifth separate, secondary separation. Well, he, he likes him who 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 likes him. And so I can't be with the seventh one in line. I was like, oh man, you're for a rude awakening when you get to heaven one day. We as Christians probably have some serious work to do because here's the question. Do you think the world looks at the Christian church and says, boy, they really love one another? Do you, seriously, do you think they ever wonder why in the world is there so many different ones of them? And, and why can't they get along? Shouldn't they be different? Shouldn't that Christian marriage, shouldn't that couple that loves Jesus Christ dating each other, shouldn't it be distinctly different than us who don't believe in Jesus Christ? How come there's not a difference? I'm telling you, the world is watching us and it'll be won by us showing love to them and showing love to others. What the world needs is some astonishing generosity and some astonishing love because love that is uncommon gets the notice of people around us. Matthew chapter five, Jesus, he gives us an example. Okay, I want you to practice this this week, okay? Matthew chapter five, he goes, here's, here's an example. He said, here's, here's some astonishing love. Here's some astonishing generosity. Here's a way that you could live that might gain the attention of people. Matthew chapter five, verse 38 through 42. Jesus said, I love how he says, you have heard, Grace Community Church, we could say, and it was said, Grace Community Church, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We like that one, don't we? Hey, you hit me in the eye, I punch you in the eye. You knock out my teeth, I got your teeth. You hit me in the throat, your throat next. Jesus saying, hey, here it is. Hey, I understand that. It's like, you hit me, I hit you, you die, I'm alive. All right, here it is, here it is, okay? So he gives this conversation, but then he says, but, in other words, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, pause. And they're like, the first part, they're like, yeah, I love this guy. I'll follow you anywhere. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. But then he says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't like him. I don't like the way he looks. I don't like what he says. I don't like what he does. I don't like blah, 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 blah. Jesus says, but do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him and say, here, hit the other one. I mean, seriously. Someone walks up to you and the evil person comes up and just, Bam! Nails you with words. Just chews you out with words. I mean, just strikes you and just plasters you with words. You say, hey, a little more. Come on. I mean, that would be uncommon, wouldn't it? Like, dude, what is your problem? That would get the guy's attention. He says something to you. She says something to you. She just, she levels you out. Says these words you never say. And you say, that's all you got? 
That's what Jesus said. Now that would gain their attention. And then he says this. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, take your home, take every money, let him have your cloak as well. In other words, hey, if he wants to sue you, say, hey, and while you're at it, you might as well just take my wallet too. Here, you want my bank, my routing numbers? Take them. That would blow someone away. Like, wait a minute, Jim, what are you talking about here? That, hey, I didn't say it, Jesus said it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. But that is astonishing love. That's astonishing generosity. Then he says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In other words, if you can't, you don't think you can go any further. It's like, I've had it with you. I've had it. You haven't turned around yet. You've wasted all my time, all my money. There's no hope for you. And you feel, you feel like this situation is hopeless. I could never walk another mile with this person. He says, I know, I know. Hey, go another mile with him. Come on, God, what are you talking about? That's astonishing generosity and love. He says, go to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Oh boy, is that a good one. Winter time, you have the snowblower. You got the one on the block that's, you know, V8, baby. You fire it up and everybody's windows rattle on your street. You go out and get your driveway and there's your neighbor. You're thinking... No, he says, not only. He looks at you and he gives you that look, should I? I wonder if I could ask Jim to use his snowblower. And he looks at you and you're thinking, you're not getting this one. I paid big bucks for this. I worked hard and I worked 40 hours overtime for seven straight months to get this thing. You think you're getting this one? You go to work. He says, not only should you let him borrow it, say, bring it back whenever you want and you shovel. Now that would be astonishing. That would gain the attention of the world. Yet we don't think that way. That would be love. That's love. That's loved wrapped in a good deed. That's love that says, hey, if you borrow something from me, and even if you break it, and they bring it back, and it's broken, you talk to your face, say, it's okay, face, it's okay, it's okay. Thank you, thank you. That's astonishing generosity. That's astonishing love. It should gain the attention of the world. Our generosity must astonish the people around us, leaving them dumbfounded for an explanation, flabbergasted for rationale. When's the last time that you've been that person for someone? Let's see. Um, When was that? Back when I was in the crib and that kid wanted to take my toy and I gave it to him. But I gave it to him really nice. That was it. Can you think of a time when you've been astonishing with your generosity? Generosity is not just about making people think we are good and nice and kind. It's about helping people to see that our God is good. Our God is gracious. Our God is compassion. Our God lives in us. And our God changed our lives so much that we want them to meet our God. That's the picture. Our legacy must be marked by love. Uncommon love. Because we are loved in an uncommon way by an uncommon God. Would you agree with that? He loves us and we don't deserve it. Our generosity is to remind people of God's generosity. Our generous forgiveness of people who don't deserve forgiveness offers hope to the one who is riddled with guilt. See, think about this for a second. The Bible tells us this, that Jesus will never leave us, us or, nor forsake us. Now just think about that. If we modeled that, we leave people because they root for another team. We change employment places because the boss didn't smile at us six straight days. We leave marriages because we see someone else across the street that might look different. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we are to make a lasting legacy on this world, we need to stay put in love. See, but that's not easy. We leave over all kinds of stuff. Well, he said he was going to do this and he never followed through. And so I'm leaving him. She said this and I'm leaving her. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen to me. God will never leave you nor forsake you, even in the worst version of yourself, even when you're sitting in the sin pile of your past and present, and it's dark and it's gloomy and it's ugly. And he says, I love you. 
Boy, that's love. That's uncommon love. That's love that marks a legacy. That's love that we don't understand most of the time. That's love right now that calls you saying, well, Pastor Jim, you don't know my situation. I don't need to know it. I don't want to know it. God knows it. And here's what I know. You have messed up and I have messed up and done horrible things. And God says, I love you. See, love will win the final approval. Love wins. Love's the key ingredient to our legacies. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Look at Matthew chapter 22. When we stand before God one day, our legacies must be wrapped in love. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Jesus says this. He's having this conversation, and he says, says this as he's standing there. Verse 37 says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the was, what? What's the word? First and the what commandment? Greatest commandment. Okay. When I read the Bible, when I see something Jesus said, all right. In other words, he says, hey, church, this is really important. I got it highlighted in my Bible. There it is. This is important. So when I read that, when Jesus says, this is the first and greatest, I'm like, uh-oh, I better do this. First and greatest. And he says to love me, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, we must begin with him. Second, he says this, and the second is like it, but it's not the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, once you love God, the overflow of your heart, out of that comes love for others. How do we love others, by the way? How's that? I mean, love God, love others like you love yourself. Seriously, begin to think about that. I was thinking about that this week. So that means when I go to eat and I'm hungry, I should feed someone else. Because I love myself and I'm hungry, so I should feed someone else. When I go on vacation, I feel like I need a break. Guess what? I love others. Hey, you need a break too. Here, go on vacation. If I'm eating, if I'm playing, if I'm recreating, if I'm buying, the principle is this. Whatever you would do for yourself, be willing to do it for others. Now, does that thought even cross your mind when you plan those things? Jesus says, that's love. That's a mind that's centered in love. That's the DNA and the fabric of love running through your mind that when you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about others. You're hungry. I wonder if someone else is hungry. Hey, I'm going to go here. I wonder if they need a ride. That's the picture. But Jesus says this too. He says, in order to be able to do that, you must love me first. Have you ever considered what that, the words I love you mean to God? You know, I, obviously I'm a father of three kids that I love dearly and I have a precious wife that I love dearly. There's nothing like getting a text from your children, even to this day. I get a text, I get a text from Josh or I get a text from Hannah and I get a text from Isaiah whose name is Browntown. My 11-year-old, love it, brown town. If I get a text from him and I write something to him, he texts me back or I text him back. And if I get the words back from my kids that says, I love you too, dad. It's like, come on over here, take this. It's all yours. <laughs> Josh, you didn't hear this. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Seriously, any parent in here? Don't you love to hear the words, I love you from your kids? Parents, children. I don't care what age you are. Your parents want to hear from you. They don't need to hear about anything. Just a text that says, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. Stop and think about that. I know what that does for me. When's the last time, what season of life have you just stopped and pulled away and just stopped and you sent your little text message to God and said, I love you? you, God. Not, God, could you do this? God, thanks for that. God, you're a good God. God, thank you. God, would you help? God, what about just stopping in your prayer life for a while is, I love you, God. Thanks, Jimmy. I love you, God. Thanks, Jennifer. I love you, God. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Because the Father 
son relationship and child relationship. My view of God changed when I had children. I understood him better. I'm convinced God longs to get a text from earth that says, I love you. Where does that come from, by the way? It comes from spending time. It comes from understanding the depravity of sin. It comes from knowing where I would be if Jesus didn't intervene in my life and save my soul. It comes knowing that I would be a wretched person away from God, headed to hell, had it not been for Jesus' intervention in my life. That's where it comes from. We've got to go back to the point of salvation so that we understand what we've been saved from. And I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Some of us have been saved for so long, we don't even remember what we've been saved from. You've got to go back to the cross and visualize your sins hanging on the cross and just say, God, I love you. Thanks, Jimmy. Final stamp of approval is when we stand before God. Did we love him with all our heart, soul, and mind? And did we love others? And so there will come a day when you and I stand before Jesus Christ and we stand right before him and he's going to look at us. And there's, there's, there's these words that I long to hear. Nothing would move me more as my life passes in front of me. Everything I've ever done. I mean, every, every, every moment that I've ever lived is there. And if, if I or you get to hear these words, then we have lived our legacies well. Doesn't every child want to hear that from his father? Good job. I'm proud of you. Well done. Church, hear me today. You can leave this auditorium today and you can walk out these doors and you can get back on that same path, whatever it was, and there might be some good disciplines in your life, but if you're doing those disciplines out of duty, then listen to me, they mean nothing to God. So maybe this week you need to pull away from the rat race and just sit and soak. And maybe you open up your Bible not because this is the day you're supposed to read this passage and this is the day you're supposed to read that passage. Just pull away and open up the word of God and, and ask God to reveal himself to you and just sit and think of where you might be had not God intervened. And out of that will come love. Father God, help us today. You're a good God. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would recognize how much you love us. And I pray, God, that we'd be reminded of your love for us so that we would love others. And God, may we leave our legacies well and live them well so that we can hear those words, well done. In Jesus' name, amen. I began this series with a story. Five weeks ago, I opened up this series with this story that marked legacy. And I'm going to end with it. And I want you to listen to it. Unfavorable winds blow the ship off course. And when they do, the sailors spot uncharted islands. They see half a dozen mounds rising out of the blue South Sea waters. The captain orders the men to drop anchor and goes ashore. He is a robust man with a barrel chest, full beard and curious soul. On the first island, he sees nothing but sadness, underfed children, tribes in conflict, no farming or food development, no treatment for the sick and no schools, just simple, needy people. The second and following islands reveal more of the same. The captain sighs at what he sees. There's no life for these people, but what can he do? Then he steps onto the last and largest island. The people are healthy and well-fed. Irrigation systems nourish their fields. Roads connect the villages. The children have bright eyes and strong bodies. The captain asks the chief for an explanation. How has this island moved so far ahead of the others? The chief, who is smaller than the captain, but every bit his equal in confidence, gives a quick response. Father Benjamin... He educated us in everything from agriculture to health. He built schools and clinics and dug wells. The captain asked, can you take me to see him? The chief nods, signals for two tribesmen to join him. They guide the captain over a jungle ridge to a simple, expansive medical clinic. 
It's equipped with clean beds, staffed with trained caretakers. They show the captain the shelves of medicine and introduce him to the staff. The captain, though impressed, sees nothing of Father Benjamin. He repeats his request. I would like to see Father Benjamin. Can you take me to where he lives? The three natives look puzzled. They confer among themselves. After several minutes, the chief invites, follow us to the other side of the island. They walk along the shoreline until they reach a series of fish ponds. Canals connect the ponds to the ocean. As the tide rises, the fish pass from the ocean into the ponds. The islanders then lower the canal gates and trap the fish for harvest. Again, the captain is amazed. He meets fishermen and workers and gatekeepers and net casters, but he doesn't see Father Benjamin. He wonders if he's making himself clear to these men. I don't see Father Benjamin. Please take me to where he lives. A trio talks alone again. After some discussion, the chief offers, let's go up to the mountain. They lead the captain up a steep, narrow path. After many twists and turns, the path deposits them in front of a grass roof chapel. The voice of the chief is soft and earnest. He has taught us about God. He escorts the captain inside and shows him the altar, a large wooden cross, several rows of benches, and a Bible. Is this where Father Benjamin lives, the captain asks? The men nod and smile. May I talk to him? Their faces grow suddenly serious. Oh, that would be impossible. Why? He died many years ago. The bewildered captain stares at the men. I asked to see him. You showed me a clinic, some fish farms in this chapel. You said nothing of his death. You didn't ask about his death, the chief explains. You asked to see where he lives. And we showed you.
It's been good for five weeks. It's been good to come and just, you know, week after week, <clears throat> hear about legacy. Hear stories like the ones we just heard and, and uh, stop and think, about what can we do? What can we write on that piece of paper? What can we talk about in our small groups? What can we write down in our notes in a sermon time and all of those things? But we remember today, if it's not wrapped in love, if it's not motivated by love, it doesn't count for a whole lot when it comes to hearing those words, well done. And so I pray that you would do a work in our hearts in each of us, and I pray, Lord, that all these things that we've learned and heard, we've been challenged, we've been encouraged, it's time to turn these into action. And Spirit, we ask you to be with us in a powerful way as we do that. Because we want to be people who make a lasting impact. And when we do, and when it's wrapped in love, and when it's prompted by the Holy Spirit, then you get the glory. You get the attention. And it's your name that's honored. And, and at the core of us, Jesus, that's what we want more than anything. So be with us as we go from here. Thanks for this time to think about legacy. Thanks for these messages in this series and these weeks that we've spent together be with us as we work hard on the changes that each of us need to make be with us lord in jesus name amen you are dismissed we love you guys we'll see you next week <coughs>